Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, glad to be with you. It is uh, 10.07, and uh, let me tell you, we got uh, Ron Calzone coming on because it is Think Tank Thursday. Uh, lessons for Missouri from Speaker McCarthy's ouster. I'm curious to see about that, um, and we'll get to it. In the meantime, the incredibly talented Miss Brenda Talent is with us, and she, of course, is the CEO over at the Show Me Institute. She wants to chat a little bit about 2024 and whether or not these lawmakers are serious about reining in the state's spending. Um, Brenda, let me just cut the segment short. No. Thank you for being with us. We really appreciate you spending the time. Well, thank you for having me, Gary. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. <laughs> no, they're not going to rein in spending. <laughs> but they need to. I mean, it's out of control, and we have a lot of devices in our state. So we don't, you know, our, our lawmakers can just sort of ignore the fact that they're handing out millions of dollars in tax incentives because it never hits the revenue side. So it's like, oh, we never we never got that money, so we never spent the money. But they are. They're giving out these monies to private interest. And um, just this past fiscal year, we gave out $669 million. And of that, I believe a little over $400 million related to economic development credits. Huh. So that's our tax dollars going to these private groups? That is um, tax revenue, which under our state's taxing statutes, somebody ought to have paid, but because they had tax credits, they were able to offset that um, tax due by those tax credits. So it's money we didn't collect. And, um, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, that's a tax cut. It's a it's not a tax cut for all of us. It's a tax cut for the favored few who manage to get those tax credits. Yeah, but as spending increases, the rest of us have to keep paying. We have to pay for that. That's exactly right. So right now, there there really isn't transparency. I mean, when the state plans its budget, because what happens with these tax credits, you know, you apply for them, so then you, they're issued, but they may be redeemed next year or you know, a couple of years from now or maybe even 15 years from now. So our, our state legislature acts like, well, we don't really have to take that into account. But, you know, it really does need to be taken into account, particularly when you've decided to up our budget to $50 billion um, and you're creating long-term programs that are going to require ongoing financing. Perhaps you ought to know what you're going to have to pay out in a future year um, rather than acting like it's not really an expenditure. It is. And the problem right now is there's no transparency about this. Brenda, the, uh, the ruling party in the legislature likes to tell us about how they cut the income tax rate a few years ago. It's a pretty marginal cut, if you ask me. But Well, it's always better than nothing, but, I mean, when you look at these other numbers, you say, well, you could have done more for us instead of helping your friends. But if they continue to spend like drunken sailors, and I think we may have just insulted drunken sailors, then eventually you're going to have to come up with more revenue. 
That's exactly right. At which point they'll start saying, well, we can't continue giving you these tax cuts. You all need to vote on a tax increase. Or they'll find creative ways to impose additional costs on us um, to, to fund their budget. Because, you know, as, as you and I both know, it's very rare when you see a government program get cut. I mean, we did see miracle of miracles that the film tax credit was sunset several years ago but then like a zombie it has arisen again in our legislature despite evidence that it doesn't produce economic growth um put it back into the law again i mean you know it, it gets a little frustrating when experience goes through people without stopping it's a lot like what we see at the federal level remember the mohair subsidy it was gone and then they brought it back and it's it and it's useless. And so is this. I, I am frustrated because the choices that they're making, and I don't care which political party uh, you look at, always lead to more spending, more taxes, more regulations. When does it ever end? Well, I think it ends when you have real leadership that um, has a, a, a grounded philosophy. And, you know, we've heard people talk about this who are in office, but it is having the, the fortitude to follow through on that philosophy because in the end, it will be better for all of us. It'll be better for our state. And, you know, all of this on top of the fact that when we're surrounded by other states that are doing things that really are returning greater liberty, greater control to individuals, you, you do sit here and scratch your head and say, what's going on here? Why are, why are we going in the wrong direction when other states are going in the right direction? Well, I think you nailed it. Leadership. That's the problem. Leadership. Is there something that a, a different governor could have done to, to change the direction? Is this, does this all rest with the legislature? Or could the executive branch have done something to curtail the spending? Well, well, Gary, I think there is plenty of blame to go around for for all um, authorities to share. But I think part of it is um, there can be more transparency about our spending. So, for example, one of the things we're talking about is greater transparency on these tax credits, whether you require the legislature every year to approve them so they, that basically there's a way that they're hitting the budget and they're taking that into account. Um, obviously, it's leadership in saying no to some programs that are really, you know, we can all say, oh, that's a nice idea, but it's the wrong idea for government to be involved in some of these programs that have been instituted. Things like, okay, we do need to pay people more for the services they're providing, but it's not across the board. It's merit pay. It's areas in which we really need to attract people. Um, you know, so whether it's teachers who are very valuable, it's about identifying those who you need to attract and what you need to pay them as a market wage. So it's, it's really introducing free market concepts to government and having, again, the fortitude to say, you know what, nice idea, but not the proper role for government. This is a role for individuals and their communities to undertake, not for, for us. Um, so I, I think that's what it is. And that conversation can begin now. It can begin with these tax credits. It can begin with firming up what we, we define as qualified for these tax credits and also for eliminating programs for which there are no, there really is no need for tax credits. Credits, whether it's film tax credits, music credits, I guess it's called entertainment credits now, or low-income tax housing credits, which are already funded at the federal level, and which we saw, again, with past history when it was um, frozen for a while, that the building didn't stop. I mean, because of the federal tax credit, 
building these housing units continued. So it's really having that fortitude and and having the confidence in, in going to the public and making the case that, you know, this will be better for everyone. And it really will, because, again, if you look at the research and the evidence, uh, it shows that it will be. The incredibly talented Brenda Talent, Show Me Institute. Uh, Brenda, have you guys uh, got some editorials or op-eds on this up at uh, We the sure website? do. Um, Elias Tapelis has been writing about it. He talked about tax credit trade-offs at showmeinstitute.org. David Stokes has a number of them relating to what our municipalities do in handing out tax subsidies and what what the impact of those are. So, yeah, visit us at showmeinstitute.org, and you'll get plenty of ideas on what we can do that would be effective in growing our economy and really returning the power back to the people. You know, what it always frustrates me because the answers seem pretty clear and easy, except for one, and that's how to motivate voters to get involved enough to change things. Because really, it is up to voters. It's, it's, not, it's not up to the legislature. It's up to us. It is. It is up to us. I mean, this government is our employees and, you know, we have an obligation to run our business. And as with any business owner, if you neglect running your business, bad things happen. All right. Brenda, thank you for being with us this morning. Thanks for having me, Gary. Take care. All right. You too. All right, quick break. We'll be back. I'll tell you what's coming up with Dave Rowland. He'll be on board with us in the final hour of the program at 11.20 or so. Mike Murphy is going to be on board. He, of course, is ComoBuzz with 1Z.com. We'll talk about law enforcement. Well, sort of. I'll explain it in greater detail. But next, Ron Calzone. He'll be on about 10.35 on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. I could tolerate any any insurance seminar. For days, I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. They'd say, how can you stand it? And I'd say, because I've been with Gary Nolan. I can take anything. On the Zimmer Radio Network. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, look at old age. Yeah, I know that uh, there are a lot of people looking for work, and you just created an opening. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Um, for, the, uh, for the economy, we keep telling you this is not going to be the soft landing that the feds and so many people want you to believe. Now we get this additional rate hikes needed to defeat inflation, feds Bowman warns. Uh, this is uh, the headline that that they're going to keep raising interest rates. They're not seeing the result that they wanted, and I'm telling you, it's going to whipsaw. All of a sudden, it's going to it's going to go on the downside, and the stock market is afraid right now of for, because the unemployment numbers are coming out. And Brian and I were just looking at the uh, the Dow and uh, it, all the. I mean, it's it's. It's back in the 3200s. It's really... What do you suppose they're reacting to? I think they're afraid that there's going to be another interest rate hike. And we've got this deal with the short and long-term notes and the the, the flip on the interest. It's... Oh, man. It's just... It just all adds up to... Don't look at your 401k. Yeah. Don't... Yeah, not today. Not a good idea. You know, I'm not crazy about the idea of building the wall... But Donald Trump 
invested a lot of tax dollars on building that wall. And the first thing Joe Biden did when he got in was he killed finishing the wall. And, well, <laughs> what? Well, oh, you're laughing. It's what? just that every single thing that Biden undoes, he has to put back together again. Except for drilling for oil. Yeah, no, we can't do Well, maybe, you know, certain places, but not on federal lands, uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, they uh, apparently had to, they had a few obstacles uh, in putting up the wall. It's amazing how the left can get around these obstacles. And nobody starts screaming from the mountaintop, oh, you're destroying the wetlands, you're, horrib you're horrible, you're ruining uh, the home of the, uh, you know, wetland snail and all the other rats and mice and rodents. They do it and nobody says a damn thing. But when, uh, when the Republicans do it, of course, it's chicken little, the sky is falling. They had to waive 26 federal laws in order for them to go forward with the construction of the border wall that Biden said he would never build. And is their first use of a sweeping executive power employed during the Trump presidency. He's sort of relying on Donald Trump to fix the problems that he started, isn't he? I thought he sold pieces of the wall that uh, they dismantled, or that they, Trump ordered them. They were sitting around, and there was a story recently where Biden said, we're not going to need that stuff. Sell it off. Well, apparently they are going to need it. Uh, they posted uh, from Homeland Security uh, an announcement with the Federal Registry. Uh, the uh, construction of this wall in Starr County, Texas, is going to go forward. It's part of the uh, Border Patrol sector that's seeing high illegal entry. Wow. Um, what does that say about, about uh, Biden's decision-making? I'll tell you what's happening, though. Everybody is covering this now. It's not just Fox News. Everybody is covering it. And you can't escape it. It is a problem for the administration. So now they've got to snap into action and build a wall. Ultimately, I'm not a fan of the wall. I'm really not. I, I think you're going to have a... There's only one... Economics is the best metric to look at when you see a problem develop. You might not think that, it's, uh, in, that it applies to everything, but it, it applies to an awful lot. And here's what we've got. We've got a government that will give you free education, will cover your health care needs, will even see to it that you're fed. All you have to do is get here and have some kids, and boy, you're on the way. That's like a magnet for people. There's a, a, a the Babylon Bee had a great uh, a, a meme. I don't know if you saw this, Brian. But it was an American family wearing those, you know, like Mexican mustaches. I missed that one. Yeah, pretending to be uh, illegal immigrants <laughs> to get a good deal on a hotel room. Oh, man. Uh, you, can't, 
you can't do those things and expect that you're going to get a different result. It's, it's, uh, it just, you can't. You're seducing them. You're offering them incentives. You're offering them economic incentives to come into the country. It's not like you're offering them work, an opportunity to go to work. You're underwriting their existence. So imagine that you're some poor peasant in some South American country struggling to feed your family, and you hear about people going up to New York and getting put in the ritziest hotels and being fed. Well, boy, pack your bags. Apparently the left don't get it, or the Republicans aren't getting it either. You know, but, but both parties have created the problem. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a problem. But you've got so much government red tape. You've got to pay Social Security. You've got to pay an income tax. You've got to worry about a minimum wage. Um, it, 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 you can't just come into the country and work. And if you do come into the country, even if you're here, here illegally, uh, you know, they'll, they'll put you up in a hotel. Uh, they'll see to it that you've got medical attention. All at somebody else's expense. Speaking of somebody else's expense, that dumb SOB in the White House is going to pay billions of dollars in college loan debt anyway? He's still trying to do this? I, 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 you people on the left, you Democrats who are listening to me now, do you really think that it's my obligation or that Brian Hansen should pay for somebody's college education? Do you think that morally that makes sense? Do you not think that if the government pays off those loans, others will want their loans paid off? Do you not think if the money is easy to come by, that the universities will keep raising their prices? God, wake up, leftists. He needs some more young voters, you see. Oh, is that what this is about? Who I never would have thought that he would yeah. stoop to bribing people for <laughs> votes. No. Let me go to the phones here. I got a, I got about a minute here. Steve, good morning. Um, yeah, when I was listening to the news this morning, getting ready for work, they were talking about the main reason they wanted to build the wall was to stop the fentanyl. And my first thought was, well, they'll bring it in some other way. That. <laughs> That's not going to stop the fentanyl. You, the you you think prohibition doesn't work? No, that's that's correct. Yeah, I'm. Everything ought to be legal. I, I have. I mean, I'm in advancing years, and I have pains and aches and stuff. And you cannot get pain medication. It's like pulling teeth. Um, so you have to suffer because we're trying to protect people from their own behavior. That's correct. Yeah. Well, we have to do it that way. Yeah. Why, Brian? Well, because, because you're yeah, too stupid. I understand that I'm too stupid. So. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, beaten down by the big guy. All right, yeah. Steve, thank you. Right. Okay. All right, glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. All right, Ron Calzone, a.k.a. Cazzone. He is going to be with us. And he was looking at what happened to the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And he's, well... 
wondering if there's any lessons for the speaker here in Missouri. Hmm. Gary Nolan Zimmer, Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It is 1035 and at 11 o'clock, 1105, uh, Mike Murphy is going to be with us, homobuzz.com with one Z. Uh, we'll talk about uh, law enforcement and uh, move by the mayor in Columbia. Also, Dave Rowland is going to be on board. He uh, guest hosted for me yesterday. I deeply appreciate it. Uh, I was kind of surprised, but he's got some cases that he wants to talk about, including the U.S. Supreme Court hearing a case of a Texas farmer that was flooded out by the state. The Institute for Justice is handling that. Uh, we'll find out what that's all about. And a New York judge issuing a gag order after Donald Trump attacked, uh, well, I don't know that he attacked a clerk. He pointed out that one of the clerks seems awfully chummy with uh, a senator. I don't think that's an attack. But anyway, uh, before we do all that, Ron Calzone on board MoFirst.org. Calzone. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Gary. I'm, I am so deeply sorry to hear about your challenges with Gwen. You're both in our prayers. No. And we both appreciate it. Um, she's a fighter. I hope if I ever have to face that kind of adversity, I can have the attitude she does. Um, well, what do you? Support, I'm sure we'll make a difference. Thank you. Um, what do you think is um, a lesson to be learned here in in uh, Jeff City from? Well, not nothing specifically about our present speaker, although it certainly applies to him, but it's about our whole system, and it's the system that's been in place for many, many years and will continue to be in place uh, for many, many more years if people don't do something about it. So I, what I love about the fact that, uh, you know, we've seen McCarthy ousted is that it raises the attention level of what's going on, not, not just in, in Washington, D.C., but in Jefferson City. People are upset over the idea that they don't have single-subject bills, that bills are so omnibus and so involved that nobody knows what what's really in them. Even after you vote on them, Nancy, we don't necessarily know what's in them. And the idea that bills would be foisted on our representatives with too little time for them to actually understand the bill before they have to vote on them, uh, the idea that they should be following the law, the laws that that limit the powers of the people that we send somewhere to represent us, you know, those are all things that I think are great to draw people's attention to. And, you know, Speaker McCarthy didn't have a right to be Speaker of the House. And and if he made obligations that he didn't live up to, then, then certainly there needs to be some accountability. But look what happens when someone stands on principle. I mean, are you watching them eviscerate these Republicans? Well, you know, actually, I'm not watching very closely because I've been super busy since all that happened. But it's, there's no doubt that it's happening. I, what do you expect? You know, we have some, some people like that in Jefferson City. You know, you've had Mike Moon on your program a time or two. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Senator Moon spent uh, almost eight years in the House. And, and he was one of these people that stood on principle. He was kind of our Dr. No, our Ron Paul in, the, in uh, the House of Representatives, and now he's doing the same thing in the Senate. And they marginalized and they eviscerated him as well. You know, but the fact of the matter is, is that the standing on principle is w- exactly what people want. They want 
our lawmakers to follow the laws, the fences that the Constitution builds around their powers so they don't abuse the powers. You know, Brenda was talking about these tax credits that are such a boondoggle. They're obviously a poor idea, and they're so obviously a way for cronies to be rewarded, and you know, which profanes the whole uh, political legislative process. Everybody knows they're wrong, but they keep doing them because they pay off. And so, you mean they pay anyway, off politically? They pay off politically, yeah. So I'm so I'm ranting a little bit, but my point is, is that you know, back to Mike Moon, you know, Mike Moon stood on principle. He's drawing a line in the sand and saying that the, that our Constitution, especially, he'll say, requires bills to be single subject. They require a bill to adhere to its original purpose, and if it and if they don't, I'm going to be a no vote. And so, yes, he got marginalized. He got eviscerated, if you want to say that. But you know something? He also got elected to the Senate. And he's also, if you go to the Capitol and, and you look in Senate offices and you find out who's visiting the offices, you'll see some offices where there's nothing but lobbyists, you know, and typically a lot of booze. You go in Mike Moon's office and you see regular citizens. Why? Because people love representatives. They love senators who stand on principle. I was at a meeting and uh, recently, last couple of weeks, uh, with a bunch of citizens and a state rep. And the state rep was explaining the challenge that they face when they, they make uh, a, a promise or they make a commitment to support an issue or a you know, particular uh, type of bill. And then the only way they have a chance to vote on that issue is if it gets rolled into some big omnibus bill. And they feel, they feel kind of in a dilemma. Do I, do I vote yes on this bill that I know is violating the Constitution because it's more than one subject? Or do I vote no and then make it look like I'm reneging on my commitment to that issue? And so, he, you know, he was lamenting this challenge. And so I, I asked the crowd a show of hands. How many of you want your representative to stand on principle and be loyal to his oath of office? which says he will support the Constitution, which says that you can only have single-subject bills. Every single hand went up. And, they, and so what they were saying was, is we would rather see you be true to your oath, we'd rather see you stand on principle, even if it means that you're going to have to look for another opportunity to fulfill your promise on, a, on this issue or that issue. So I think in the long run, I think Matt Gates is going to, he's going to fare very well with the American people. As you found out with the people that called in. Yeah, but the listeners to this program are, are pretty well informed. I don't think the average voter is. I think the average person watches their news at night, think they've gotten a good handle on what's going on, make their decisions based on what they've seen, and they close the book. Uh, and, and so and, I, I'm and not... That's why, and that's why elected, elected officials need to use the bully pulpit that they have. So if you're a state rep, if you're a state rep in Missouri... You know, you can you can have town hall meetings. You can get on a radio program every day if you want to, virtually. You can get columns in the local newspaper, and you can explain why you had to take a vote that might not look good, but you had to take that vote the right way because you took an oath to support the Constitution. In Missouri's One Subject at a Time Act, um, which I've been supporting at the national level uh, with my association at Downsize D.C., is there a mechanism in place that that um, hold them you, accountable? Yeah, because the courts don't seem to be doing that. 
No, unfortunately, they don't. You know, I've litigated a number of these cases. Sometimes I've won and sometimes I've lost. But um, the fact is, is that the courts give a lot of deference to legislators. They say, you know, they, you know, you look at the Supreme Court of Missouri, it's right across the street from the legislature, and they'll point across the street and they'll say, they're, they're adult men and women. They took the same oath to support the Constitution that we did. And so we're going to assume that, that they knew what they were doing when they passed this bill, and it's all one subject, and the purpose didn't change, and so forth. Well, so you're right. The courts have abdicated their duty to defend the people through the Constitution. You know, so it's going to be largely up to uh, voters and constituents to hold them accountable. And again, I don't think they're all that well informed uh, no. otherwise. That's why your program is so great, because we get to talk about this and we get to, to point things out. So my suggestion is, as we're going into this campaign season, is you, when you encounter a rep, when they come and knock on your door, you meet them at, a, at, the, at Walmart or the coffee shop or, or you know, some kind of a, a meeting, you need to ask them for their commitment. If you want to vote for me, you know, whether it's a candidate or a sitting rep, I want your commitment that you will not vote for a multiple subject bill. You will not vote for a bill that's had its purpose changed. You will be true to your oath of office, no matter what. And make them pledge to you that they'll do that, and then you need to watch them and hold them accountable. But I, I do want to say this one other thing before we run out of time. The thing that's so wonderful about what happened in, in D.C. with McCarthy is that it addressed you know, what is the real problem. And that is the fact that there's too much power concentrated in too few hands. And, and so they, you know, they saw that power being abused, and so they, they said, we've got to change this. Now, unfortunately, this is the thing that's sad about it, is, is that they're not looking for a change in the system and the mechanism. They just want a change in the person that abuses the system and the mechanism. Rather than deciding that we're, we need a speaker that's going to do what we want to do, whether it's cut taxes or single-subject bills or whatever, they need to depower the speaker. They need a set of rules that, that makes the speaker a facilitator so that every single one of our representatives up, up there has an equal say. Jim Bobco was exactly right that our representatives, people that are supposed to be using the power we loan them, they don't have any power because all the power is concentrated in the hands of the speaker and a few select chairman of committees that's what needs to change and that's the other thing that you need to ask your rep or your senator before you you commit to vote for them you know or candidates you need to ask them to commit to changing the rules so that we don't have this top-down power structure and so that the power was diffused and you truly do have representation in the house in the missouri senate pearly words of wisdom from ron calzone mofirst.org Ron, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you, Gary. If they go to MoFirst.org, the, at the top of the landing page, there's a set of documents with these constitutional clauses that I'm talking about. Download them as PDFs, share them, give them, hand them to your rep, hand them to candidates. There's a part of me that would like to just rip out the entire Constitution in the state of Missouri and clean it up and put it back right. Uh, kind of a side thought here. I but just it, want to follow what's there. Huh? I just want to, I don't want, I want them to follow what's there. 
we have some great stuff in the Constitution. Dave talks about it all the time. Where there's some great things that he he's able to take to court and argue, and you know, unfortunately, yeah, we, but we got all this other. They got the, like the legalizing marijuana thing and all the hoops you have to jump through, and where and the lottery and how it's you know supposed to you know provide money for government for government schools and uh, just a lot of stuff that we really ought to we really ought to get rid of. I think you should just let me draft a, a new constitution for the state, Ron. Go ahead, authorize it. I'll do it. Okay, you've got my permission. All right, I'll have it ready for you next week. I'll be looking for it. All right, thanks, Ron. Ron Chalzone, MoFirst.org. Oh, yeah. Dave Rowland's coming up, and Mike Murphy's going to be on board. And in England, they're going to do what I think they're going to do here in the United States on the federal level. Gary Nolan Zimmer, Radio Network. Hey, it is uh, 1053. Glad to have you with us. Mike Murphy's going to be on board. He uh, is uh, Como Buzz, and that's one Z, by the way, ComoBuzz.com. Uh, the mayor of Columbia, looking out for our best interest. Uh, Rishi Sunak uh, is going to ban cigarettes for some British uh, residents. He uh, He's decided that the government should protect their people from their own decisions. He and this is this is interesting because he said it was costing the National Health Service money. Now, isn't that what happens when you have government-run health care? If you don't do everything you can to remain healthy then you're costing other taxpayers. Ergo, we have motive to, you know, determine what uh, what you can and cannot do. Wouldn't can. smoking help the National Health Service save money? Because you're going to die sooner. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. First, um, in, in Great Britain, the taxes are pretty high, and uh, smokers pay far more in taxes than they cost in terms of health care. But it's true, and, and I've heard this argument used here about smoking causing, uh, you know, Medicaid, Medicare patients, uh, you know, it's nonsense. If you get lung cancer, if you survive, and, you know, God bless you, I hope you do, but m most people succumb within five years. Now you think, well, that's costing us money. But the truth is, if you live to develop Alzheimer's or any of the other age-related diseases that will affect us as we, uh, you know, get later and later in our years, it it costs more because it doesn't end inside of five years; it goes on for a decade or more. It actually saves money. The government should be doing is saying, look, Medicare is in trouble and Medicaid is expensive. And what we should be doing is encouraging people to go out and smoke so they get lung cancer and die early and save money. It's insane. But anyway, that's what uh, that's what they're doing in Great Britain. The government should have no say-so in any of those things. 874-9390-800-529-5572. Battery-powered cars. Oh, we love our battery-powered cars. And we have found 
a charging station that is the largest in the world. If you've got a battery-powered car and you live anywhere near this this, uh, place where you plug in your car, you got to be, you're not going to be waiting in line. It's just drive in, plug in, charge up, and go on your way. 98 charging bays, Brian. Oh, that's awesome. If you're in Coalinga, California. I'm sure California, it's always full, right? Well, it's it's not, but but there's, you know, as, as the battery-powered cars proliferate, eventually it'll be full. How much land do you have to burn up? <laughs> 98 parking spaces. But anyway, they've, it is the largest. And, you know, what's really good is it's not connected to the grid. So you can't complain that it's hurting the, the power grid in California. Isn't that nice? That is nice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they just, behind the Shell station, they've got a diesel-powered generator. Wait, behind the Shell station? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Edward Niedermeyer, he is an investigative journalist, and he discovered that this power station with all these, you know, plug-in facilities was powered by diesel generators, plural, hidden behind a shell station. (laughs) Reporters at San Francisco Gate tried to find out how much of the station's electricity was from the generators, but... Couldn't get a response from Tesla. Huh, weird. It isn't dedicated, it, is, it isn't connected, rather, to any dedicated solar farms. So, um, just... <laughs> and it couldn't be running on diesel, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, diesel's a really dirty fuel. Uh, but anyway, they they feel good. They roll up in their Teslas and they feel good because they got... They're saving know, the planet. No tailpipe, uh-uh. you know, nothing coming out of the back of the car. Perfectly clean. Yeah. And it, as we pointed out earlier, um, now the government's going to regulate those pool pump motors. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, it won't be long until we are up to our eyeballs in snow. Because they, you know, they've taken all these steps, uh, the gas stove, the dishwasher, the disposal. The backup generator, the pool pump, I mean, they are really looking out for your best interest. Eventually, they'll get the planet perfect to where the temperature remains the same. Always. It never changes. Well, when did we ever have that before? Well, we didn't, but we're going to get there. Just trust this administration. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. It's the science, you see. I would never have guessed. Yeah. I would never have guessed. They're really smart. And we played Biden this morning right out of the shoot, and he kind of illustrated that to us. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mike Murphy coming up next on The Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is The Gary Nolan Show.